Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it continues to speak to us as we are open to receive it and to hear it. So Lord, we pray that by your spirit, that you would speak your word to us, that it would speak exactly where we need it, each one of us, in our own unique way. God, that it would challenge us today to love you more with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Amen. The letter that we are are looking at right now is the book of Colossians, and this was written by the Apostle Paul, and I want to begin this morning by telling a little bit of of Paul's backstory, because this passage that we're looking at in Colossians today, uh, understanding where Paul came from and a bit of his history will help us to better understand what Paul is speaking about in Colossians chapter 1 today. Paul is a man. He was also called Saul. Uh, These uh, two names, one was the name that he used when he was mostly hanging around Roman people, Paul. And Saul was his name when he hung around Hebrew people and Jewish people. I think uh, we have the impression that uh, once he was converted to Christ, that his name changed from Saul to Paul. But that's not necessarily the case. We see Saul continuing to be called Saul after his conversion. These were his two names, uh, depending on the circles that he was in. Uh, When I was in Vancouver, there were um, a lot of of Chinese people in our neighborhood and in our city and in our church, and they always had two names because I couldn't pronounce the Chinese name. And so they would say, this is my name, but you can call me John, Ryan. Okay, so they would have two names. Well, Paul, in that day, there was often people would have two names, those who that a name that they would have in Roman circles and a name that they would have in Jewish circles. So Paul was his Roman name and Saul was his Hebrew name. And Paul grew up in a, in a devoutly Jewish home. He was trained, likely from a very early age, by one of the greatest Jewish scholars and rabbis of that time named Gamaliel. And we don't know a whole, much, whole lot about his life growing up in his training days, but we know that he was a man who became passionate about the Jewish faith. Uh, He says in Philippians that he was a Hebrew of Hebrew, a a Jews of Jews, a a man who was born into a prominent tribe of the Jewish people, and that he was zealous above all others. He was a man that's passionate about the Jewish faith. And so when he saw these Christians saying that the Messiah had come and had died on a Roman cross, he was passionate to persecute them and to squash this message that was beginning to spread among the Jewish people. And so he fiercely persecuted the church. He saw it as a threat to his Jewish faith. He put Christians in prison. He ordered that many of them would die. He was the the, the reason why the first Christian martyr, Stephen, died. He was there at his death. And then one day on, on the road to Damascus, as he was traveling about going to persecute the church, Jesus appears to Paul in a blinding light and changes his life. Saul, Saul, who are you? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And now, Saul, go into the city and I will tell you what to do. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and we hear what happened in Saul's life after he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He goes into the city, 
And in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, Jesus appears to another man named Ananias, a disciple, and he says this, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Throughout Paul's life, as we read the last half of the book of Acts and as is communicated through the letters, we see his passion to live out this calling to be God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to those who are outside of Israel, and to tell them that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, and that the Messiah of Israel is Lord and Savior of the whole world. That is Paul's message, that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, and that the Messiah of Israel is Lord and Savior of the whole world. And Paul, in his life, is obsessed with taking this message to the nations. At one point in one of his letters, he says, some people claim that I am out of my mind, (laughs) that I am crazy. And he says, sure enough. And if I'm out of my mind, it's for God and for his gospel. After Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road, Paul, with all of that training in his life, Growing up from a very early age, uh, learning under the great rabbi Gamaliel, he learns and he rereads the Torah and the prophets with Jesus in in mind, and he sees that all of it pointed to him. That the Old Testament scriptures pointed to Jesus as Israel's Messiah and the Savior of the whole world. Now, last year, uh, we spent the majority of the year on a sermon series called The Bible and God's Mission. And we began in Genesis and worked our way slowly through the scriptures, all the way through Revelation, looking at the redemptive plan of God. One of the important points that we made during that time is that we cannot fully understand our salvation if we do not understand the Jewish scriptures that we know in the Old Testament. For Paul... And all of the New Testament writers, the gospel writers and the writers of the letters, the sending of Jesus into the world was not a new thing that God was doing in the world. Instead, it was the fulfillment of promises made generations before. In the great mystery, Paul often in his letters talks about this mystery of the gospel. And the great mystery of the gospel in Paul's mind is that he has made outsiders into insiders. Gentiles, those that were outside of the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, are now no longer foreigners and aliens, but are recipients of these promises that God made to them. 
Gentiles are now inheritors of all the promises of God. When I, a Gentile, read the Old Testament, the promises made there are now promises made to me, a descendant of Abraham, by faith. The Old Testament is not simply a book with fun Sunday school stories that help us to learn good moral lessons about how to live or more often how not to live. Have you ever read some of those stories? (laughs) The Old Testament is a revelation of the promises of God made to all those who have received Israel's Messiah as Lord by faith. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, and I want us to think a little bit just through a couple of passages about how Paul, this one who had been trained up under Gamaliel, who now has had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, how he may have looked back into the Old Testament scriptures and saw Jesus there. And I want to start by looking at Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 4. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Paul reads... Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And in Galatians, he says that this was the gospel in advance told to Abraham. And this phrase that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you is repeated five times in the book of Genesis. This is the gospel in advance. And Paul says, as he looks back at Genesis chapter 12, that this is a promise made to Abraham that has been fulfilled in Christ. And he is passionate about this message, that through Abraham and through Abraham's descendants, that the nations of the world would find blessing. It was God's plan from the very beginning to make Israel the means through which God's salvation would come to the whole world. The hope of the Old Testament is that God would make good on his promises to Abraham. And what Paul says here in Colossians is that the mystery of this revelation of his promises were kept hidden for generations and generations, but now it is being disclosed through you. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. In our text today is Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. I'll start reading at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. What Paul says here to these Colossian Christians, most of them Gentiles, is that the mystery of the gospel is being revealed through them. The mystery is Christ in you. The promise and plan and purpose that God has been working out since the days of Abraham is now being revealed and disclosed in you, in your life. As men and women, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, young and old, all people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord, the mystery of the gospel is being revealed to the world. Paul says a very similar thing at greater length in the book of Ephesians. If you would turn with me uh, back a couple of books to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul talks at length about this division that existed for so long between Jew and Gentile. There's division and for thousands of years have been expressed an animosity between Jew and Gentile and continues to this day. But in Ephesians 2, Paul says that in Christ, there is no more reason for animosity. There is no more reason for division. That division can be healed. Let me read uh, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 through 20. He says, Remember, formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And so consequently you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. For Paul... When Jews and Gentiles were coming together in the church to worship Jesus, it was a foretaste of heavenly worship. And so this is why Paul is so earnestly passionate about his work and service in the life of the church, because he believes that it's through the church that the purposes and plans of God are being revealed to the world. The mystery is Christ in you. I think that in our present church culture, we tend to have a very shallow view of the church. The church is kind of an added extra to Christian life. The important thing is Jesus and me and the church just kind of comes along and helps to serve and help us in that relationship. And of course, the church does that. For some people, the church is even optional. It's not even really necessary to really be a Christian. That would be so foreign to Paul's understanding of the church. His whole life and ministry was to serve and to build the church because the church is the revelation of the mystery of the gospel to the world. We 
talked last week about being part of the body of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ. If we want to have fellowship with Jesus, if we want to be a part of his mission in the world, then we must be a part of his body. To separate ourselves from that would be to separate ourselves from the head. The church is not an added extra. It's not just a filling station where we go to kind of help rejuvenate our spiritual life. It is the place where God is at work accomplishing his mission in the world. I want to tell you, this is a great mystery to me. I've been a part of the church my entire life. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. So I know how messy the church is and how messy the church can be. We often don't get along well with one another. We gossip. We argue We look down on our neighbors. We are sinners like the rest of the world. And the the church isn't really a very glamorous place either. It's made up of all kinds of people, people who do well in the eyes of the world and people who are very simple and very ordinary in the eyes of the world. But in the midst of our messiness and our very ordinariness, God is present here. And he fills the church with his presence and he says, you are my body And I am choosing by my grace to make myself known to the world through you. And so Paul knows that this is God's plan for the church. So he dedicates his whole life, all of his efforts and energy to build the church of Jesus Christ. Listen again to his words in Colossians. Colossians 1. I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, this mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him in Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. The mystery is being revealed in the Colossian church. So he's dedicated to this calling and he talks about his effort and he continues in the next five verses in chapter two, talking about all of his efforts and his struggle for the other churches that are around the church in Colossae, all of his zeal, all of his energy that had originally gone to persecuting the church, to squashing this message now is transformed because he sees, he sees that the promises made to Abraham are fulfilled in Christ. And he was zealous to call all people to come and to receive those promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So here we are in Fort Wayne in 2016. Some of these things may sound very odd to you. Some may sound strange to you how all these things fit together. I want to say very clearly three things that I think that this text that each of us can take away with today. The first is this. Like Paul, the work that we do for God is part of God's gift of grace to us. I think many of us see the service that we do for God as a gift that we give to God. And of course, there's a way in which that's true. It's an offering, a sacrifice that we make to God. But in Paul's mind, even before that, 
the service, the calling, the vocation to be a minister to the Gentiles was a gift that God gave to him. In verse 25, Paul said that God has given me this commission, a calling to go to the church. In Ephesians 3, Paul says that he became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me. Paul received the work that God had for him to do as a gift from God. Paul understood that God had called him and he believed that he had a particular role in the world that was even necessary for God to do his work. When I was in college one summer, I worked at a camp called In Pursuit, and I was the the director of, of this camp. And there was one young man, he was probably 14, 15 years old, that came to In Pursuit for two weeks, and his name was Robert, and he actually came there from France. And uh, so he came to this camp, and the first couple weeks he was a little bit distant and even a little bit of a troublemaker, but he began to listen to the gospel message that had been told to him. And by the end of the first week, I had the great privilege of leading Robert to come to know Christ. The second week, the second week, Robert was on fire for Christ. And I remember Wednesday or Thursday thinking, pretty soon Robert's going to be going home. It was very clear to me that Robert had no understanding of the gospel before he had come. I mean, it was just completely new to him. And I remember taking him aside on Wednesday or Thursday before he was going to leave. And I said to Robert, I I sat down, I said to him, "Uh, Robert, you're going to be going back to your friends and family, many of them who probably haven't heard of this. And I just want to encourage you to share with them what you've heard this week. And there was this look of confusion, even it seemed to me fear on Robert's face. And I took that to mean that he was scared to share the gospel. But he quickly told me that I was misinterpreting the look on his face. He looked at me and he said, of course I will tell them. I must tell them. (sighs) Paul and I think Robert have some things to teach us about what it means to understand our own calling and purpose in the gospel. It was a compulsion for Paul. It was a compulsion for Robert to go and to share this good news. They saw it as a gift, an opportunity for them. And usually when we talk about grace, we think about God's work of salvation in our lives, which is absolutely true, but Paul sees it as God's grace given to him that he gets to serve Christ at all, that he is God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles. And so I wonder a bit how our service for God might change if we begin to see our work for him as a gift that we're given from him rather than just a chore that we've got to fulfill. The second thing I want to speak about, and uh, as if you heard my sermon last week, you'll know that this is something that's working in me right now. The second thing that we can hear about this is Paul says that the mystery of the gospel is being revealed through these Gentile Christians in Colossae, that the mystery is Christ in you. The second thing that I want to say is that racial reconciliation is a visible expression of the gospel. With all that our country is going through at this moment, it's important for us to remember that one of the very first things that the early church had to work through was racial reconciliation. 
And we see those, those verses in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 about all of the unity in the church. You know, they gathered every day in their houses and they broke bread together and they were just so unified together. Well, it didn't seem like that lasted very long because in Acts chapter 6, there's this division that comes in the church. And you know what it is? The Jewish widows were being favored over the Gentile widows. And there's immediately a question about race early in the church. And so the apostles deal with it. They figure out a way to make sure that that isn't the case. And as time goes on in the book of Acts, this question of reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles becomes a constant question that has to be worked out in the life of the church. I say all of that to say that the resources for racial reconciliation are available to us in the gospel. And I suggest to you that one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our country right now as the church is to seek to be a visible expression of our unity in Christ. If the division between Jew and Gentile can be healed in Christ, a division that had lasted for millennia, then the division between black and white in the United States can be healed as well. And the resources are there in the gospel. God is working in me on this. I shared a bit about with you last week. If God is working in you about this, please come to talk to me and we'll begin to pray about how God might be leading us to be about this in our church and in our city. The third thing that I want to say about this text is to remember that God is at work in you. Colossians 1.29, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Each of us is called to be a part of the body of Christ and to serve Christ in some way. And here Paul's expression that I labor, struggling with all of his energy, which so powerfully works in me, strikes this proper understanding of how we should understand our work for Christ. Paul works, he labors, he works hard, he struggles, but he recognizes that it's Christ's energy that is working in him. And here Paul strikes this great balance between two pitfalls that we can fall into. Uh, On one hand, when we serve Christ, we can be prone to be lazy or careless or disengaged about our service to Christ because it's all in God's hands. (laughs) He's going to take care of everything, right? And so we can become disengaged or unconcerned with the brokenness and hurt and sin in our own lives or in the world. But the the scripture doesn't say that when I am lazy, then God is strong. It says when I am weak, then God is strong. When we have put our labor and our effort into what God has called us to do, and we find then that we aren't able to accomplish it, that's when we see God show up in his grace and his mercy, don't we? It's not when we're lazy and don't put in the effort that we know God has called us to. We don't see anything happen then, do we? No, it's, it's when we do feel called by God towards something, and we put our heart and our soul and our sweat and our tears into it. And we find even then that it's not enough that God comes in and his mercy and his grace shows up. On the other hand, it's, it's also tempting to believe that if anything good is ever going to happen, then it's all up to me to do it. 
that it all depends on me. And this attitude can lead to either pride, like look at all these great things that I'm doing for God, or fear. You know, if we don't get it done, it's not going to get done. But here Paul gives this perfect expression of Christian maturity in helping us to understand how our service to Christ and how God's work and energy come together. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. We labor, we struggle, we put our effort into the work that God has given to us, recognizing all along that it's his energy and it's his work to do. But Paul doesn't go about his work half-heartedly ever, believing that somehow God will fill in the gaps to his laziness. It's because God is at work that Paul wants to be at work too. Paul knows that God wants to bring the church to maturity, and he knows that he himself has a part to play in that work. And so because God is at work, Paul is at work. Because God is at work, he doesn't have to be stressed, and he doesn't have to be prideful about the work that he does, because in the end, it's God's energy and work working it all out anyway. Friends, God is at work in so many ways in our church right now. I am so excited to see what's happening. Youth, you're looking tired today. You're also looking a little more tan than you were a week ago. Did God do a good work in you this past week? Did he do a good work through you this past week? Thank you. We can't wait to hear about it. This summer, we have invited you to join three of our local ministries in this effort called Love Fort Wayne, where we're seeking to enter into the ministries that are already happening in our city and to bless them and to bring more time and energy and resources and love and prayer into them. And we've had over 100 people who are engaging in one of these three ministries. Praise God. There's already been great fruit seen in those things, and the summer's only not even halfway over. Yesterday, this past weekend, was the year anniversary of the Revive Indiana evangelism outreach that our church and other churches have continued to be engaged in. In Otto, we had a glory yesterday. Amen. Has had a, a young boy come to know Christ just yesterday. God is at work. Yesterday, uh, this whole week, uh, Steve and our sister Holly were leading Rock for the Rock, where they're training up kids and youth to lead worship. So many ways that I could say the ways that God is at work in our church right now. What is he calling you to be about? God gave Paul particular passions, particular gifts, and he struggled with all of his energy and all of his might to carry them out. What are you passionate about? What has God given you a heart for? Where do you see that if I and other people were to come and with the power of the Spirit to do this thing, how could that be a better reflection of the gospel and the kingdom here in our world? What is God calling you to be about right now? We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, 
struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. He wants to powerfully work through you too. Our God in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your grace to us. That on the cross, you opened wide your arms to us and welcomed us, extended your grace to us, sinners who were unworthy of it. And then you call us your children. And then you call us your friends. And then you call us your co-workers. We thank you for these gifts of grace that you give to us. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us with the various passions and spiritual gifts that you've given to each one of us. Lord, may you show us and direct us and empower us to accomplish whatever it is that you're calling us to. Lord, I pray that for each individual here, every man and woman and child that is here in our church, that they would hear your call in their life, that they would respond to it and say yes, and that they would labor and struggle with all of your energy that works so powerfully in them. And we pray this for our church, this one part of the body of Christ here in Fort Wayne, Lord, that you would make us a visible representation of the truth of the gospel. That the mystery of Christ would be revealed in us. Amen.